The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? I have yet to meet someone who is truly a normie, who has their entire life lived just a really balanced, peaceful, engaged, connected life since their childhood. I mean, the vast majority of people in my circle of friends, in my spiritual circle, in my online community that I've come in contact with have been through some really challenging things in their life. And as a result, they knew that they had to get on a different path. So with regards to my kids, you know, I do the best that I can to provide a trauma-free environment. I also fully wholeheartedly believe that before we come here to have this human experience, we know who we're choosing as our parents. We know all of the experiences that we will go through for this soul's journey to come here and evolve and grow and change. And so I realize also that I can't protect my kids from everything and that it's not my job to protect them from everything, that it's my job to raise them to be loving, kind, connected, resilient, good human beings. All right, guys. So this week we are doing a solo Q&A episode. I have the call-in option available. So some people might call in, but I have a ton of questions that you guys have submitted over the past couple of weeks. And so we're just going to dive right in. The first is from Julia and she posted this in the Recovering From Reality Facebook group. If you're not in it, please join us. It's really great and fun. And it's honestly like a beautiful community where I've seen several times people in challenging spots, needing help or just some love or words of encouragement. And I just love the community wrapping around, wrapping around each other and being there for one another. So Julia asked, and then over 10 people commented asking for me to touch on this. Uh, She says, Hey, Alexis, I would love an episode on being bisexual if that's not too personal. I also identify as bisexual, but have not come out to my friends or family yet. I'm super scared of being judged. So I can't, I I don't think I need to dedicate a whole episode to this, but I'm happy to dive into this topic because it's interesting. I came out like really publicly as bisexual on a very early episode of Recovering from Reality with the lovely Laganja Estranja, who came on and was so vulnerable themselves. So then I felt like I could share about that. My, um attraction towards women started very early on. And I actually like my first consensual and I say consensual because my first sexual experiences were non-consensual. But my first consensual sexual experience was when I was a preteen and I was with a girl. So I knew from a very young age that I was attracted to both genders. I think that I questioned it for a little while because 
I was sexually abused both by men and women as a child. And so I think I thought maybe I was just confused. And then when I was living at my dad's house, we often went to Christian church and well, y'all know (laughs) what was going on there. So I had a lot of feelings of confusion. And then I noticed that when I started consuming drugs and alcohol, I was pretty much mainly attracted to women. And I just started to explore my own sexuality. I I don't know if it was just because my inhibitions were lowered and I didn't care about what people thought, but that's kind of when that really started to take off. And I had several relationships with boys when I was in high school, but I always loved to hook up with girls. And then towards the end of my addiction, I actually began dating a girl for a little while. And that was quite the experience. And then, of course, when I was 19, I got sober. And I shortly thereafter met Evan. So how as a bisexual woman am I so happy and content in a hetero? Is heteronormative the correct word? I don't know. I'm just starting to like really start to understand this lingo. But I think it's heteronormative relationship. How am I so comfortable? So Evan's always known about my bisexuality. That was not something that I kept from him. But for me, it's really about the person. It's not about the gender. And so with Evan... I just fell in love with Evan for who he was as a person. And I knew that I knew that he was the one for me. And while it's definitely different being in a relationship with a woman than it is a man, I've been really happy over the last eight years. I'm so grateful that I have a partner who has been really totally loving and accepting of my bisexuality and so much so and so confident, I will say, in his own masculinity and sexual sexuality and just maybe masculinity is not the right word, but he's just so confident in himself and in our relationship and in our love that he's expressed on several occasions that if I have the desire or the need to go and have an intimate experience with the female, that he would not have an issue with that, which I think is really profound and amazing. And now everybody's asking, well, if he wanted to go and have a relationship with a man, if Evan was bisexual, how would you feel about that? And the answer is, I honestly don't know. I don't know how I'd feel about that. I think that there's so many different dimensions to relationships. I think one person can feel comfortable with one thing and one person can feel differently. I think the biggest thing is like open communication and making sure that everyone gets their needs met. I'm certainly not just strictly gay. I'm very happy in my relationship with Evan and so far that's really worked out for us well so I hope that answers your question um, Julia and I wish you the best on your journey I know the shame that we feel about our sexuality can be so crippling but 
If you go in there and do that shadow work and really address where that shame and where those feelings are coming from, I think that you'll be happily surprised to find that it's not from you. It's just from society and who gives a fuck what they think. So the next question I got is, how do you tell your children about addiction? I think I've touched on this before, but we believe in like age appropriate um, communication. So Harper knows that mommy and daddy don't consume substances, that she knows what we do for a living. Um, She's heard the word sober. She's heard the word sobriety. Um, This last birthday of mine, I turned nine years sober. And so, you know, we celebrated that. This was the first year that actually as a family, um, we celebrated that. Now, I haven't talked to her about going to jail or any of the um, negative, well, I don't even want to say negative, any of the kind of darker moments of my um, use, but eventually we will have that conversation. It's just, you know, it'll, it'll take place at an age appropriate time, if that makes sense. So Savannah asks, what is your advice for people trying to get on the spiritual path and dive into spiritual growth? I grew up in a mainly Christian surrounding, but find myself now looking for something that really makes my soul feel at home. Mm, Savannah, I really, really understand that as someone who has explored various aspects of spirituality and religion, I have had to figure out what has worked for me. And I will say that I think that, um, that spirituality is such a personal thing and I would explore a bunch of different things, but I would start with meditation I think it's interesting because in Christianity, they emphasize a lot on prayer Um, and prayer is an amazing tool and something that I use in my daily life, but um, it's not, I would say prayer is something that I use in my daily life and meditation is how I listen for the answers, if that makes sense. And so I would start to develop a meditation practice. And I would be going inwards, start if you've never meditated before, you could start with a guided meditation. Try to find one that has some open space though for your thoughts to come and go. Or you could just simply sit silently in your room or with a noise machine on or light music and just allow your thoughts to slowly pass by. I imagine that it's like a movie screen. And they're just going by and I'm not judging them at all. And um, over time, your head will get quieter and quieter and quieter. There's a number of books that I really love on spirituality. The first is How to Know God by Deepak Chopra. I really love that book. I love The Places That Scare You by Pema Chodron. Um, another one that's great that I use daily is Science of Mind 365. If you really want to learn about the original text and manuscript and teachings of Jesus from a non-religion viewpoint, there is an amazing book by Neville Goddard. I don't have the name off the top of my head, but I'll 
definitely put it in the show notes for you. The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle is another great one. Um, And of course, his other book, oh, it's going to come to me. I want to say Lost Connections, but that's Johan Hari. (laughs) I'll also put that other um, book in the show notes as well. So, you know, these are great places to start. I really connect with more of like the new age like movement in general. I also love Agape Spiritual Center. You can follow them on Facebook right now because they're not doing in-person celebrations. (laughs) Um, But on Sundays, Reverend Michael Beckwith just always brings it home for me. And I love listening to him. Any of his books are also amazing. So those are some great places to start. But I just would encourage for everyone, I think um, when we often think that God and that consciousness is separate from us, And uh, I think you'll be really um, surprised to find if you start a meditation practice, how connected you feel to God and you'll, you'll realize that um, there is no separation and that you are a truly powerful human being. And with that comes um, just a deep reverence for all beings on this planet and and an amazing love that, um, for yourself and for everyone else on this planet and a peace that comes with that. So, yeah, let me look for the next question. Okay, so this is a question that I get a lot. How do you reconcile your relationship, she said, with Tess, but also with friends from your past without it re-triggering you? So um, I'm not sure where you're at in your recovery journey, but um, I definitely think that the reason why making amends is a ninth step and not a second step is for a reason. I think that as we dive into this spiritual path, which sobriety really is a spiritual experience, there's just no doubt about that. You can try to live in AA, they call it dry, but I don't really necessarily agree with that. But if you're just going through life on automatic pilot and not connected, life is certainly going to be much more difficult for you. But there's a reason why we need to build up our toolbox, right? Before we go out and make amends and try to mend relationships, because it's like you know, your spiritual fitness is just that. It's like a fitness. It's like a muscle that needs to grow and it takes time. I think that, you know, there is a, there's something to be said about, you know, really doing a thorough inventory. And and if you're not doing AA, maybe working with, you're working with a therapist or whatnot, really processing a lot of your own grief and shame your feelings around these relationships before you go out and make an amends and try to heal those relationships. I think that is definitely an important thing to do. So, you know, we're not, when we get sober, we might have this feeling, this burning desire to go out there. And, and it's because we're 
so not used to being uncomfortable, right? Where we use substances in order to feel comfortable, in order to feel safe, in order to feel loved. And, you know, when we are stripped of those substances, we can often feel really uncomfortable. And so our desire is to go and make everything okay, as if we have the power to go and do that, right? We don't. And you'll see, you know, as you start to clean up your your life and your side of the street, you'll see that there's peace that comes with that. The biggest thing that I want to say is that there is no guarantee that even if you go out there and make amends, like an earnest amends and apologize for your behavior or for things that you've done in the past or whatever it might be, there's no guarantee that that person is going to A, accept your apology. That's happened to me on several occasions. Or B, that they're going to then go and do their work to heal from their, you know, like your amends and amends. Sure. is nice. Someone saying sorry to you is great, but that doesn't heal the pain. You have to be willing to go and heal your own pain from this scenario. And that's the thing is like, we have to take personal responsibility um, for our individual pain and, So, yeah, it's definitely a tricky thing. And I think regarding the re-triggering, there are moments of discomfort, of course. But again, referring back to that toolbox, going back to breath, doing grounding exercises, really meditating, understanding what's your personal responsibility and what's theirs, and just going in with an open heart and being willing to, to listen is is an incredible thing. And like Uta always says, people in our lives for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And some of these people will be in your life for a season and that's okay. And some will be there for a reason, a moment for you to reflect and learn. And some people will be there for a lifetime. And I've found that that's not a forced thing. You just have to allow those lifetime relationships to be there and to do their thing. And it's not something that you can force, if that makes sense. Are there any books that you recommend reading relating health and or alternative holistic health care? Uh, yeah, the book Dirty Genes. I'm trying to think of the doctor's name. It, it may or may not come to me, but I think Dirty Genes is a great place to start. And then regarding mental health, um, Johan Hari's book, Lost Connections, is really, truly an amazing, amazing book. So someone asked, and Leah, <laughs> so Leah asked more about reparenting and how you really started to make those little changes that eventually turned into a lifestyle. I guess my question is more in depth in how to turn the toxic family dynamic around and try to avoid the passing down generational trauma. Well, it all starts with you, Leah. And so my journey with reparenting really began when I was still in AA working with my sponsor and I was pregnant with my daughter, Harper. What I didn't realize was really the entire time that I was working with Deborah, lovely Deborah, 
who taught me just so much was she was teaching me how to become my own savior the whole time. I think I always wanted to look to her or to something outside of myself to save me. And she was always really quick to like nip that <laughs> and and to um, call out that behavior because that's the thing is like in step one, we acknowledge that we're powerless over alcohol, right? And like, if you're not an AA, that's fine. But I think we can all acknowledge like that, like when we're in our disease, we tried to stop over and over again and, and we couldn't, right? It was really hard. And then step two and three, it's like an amazing thing. When we surrender, we actually take our power back. Um, but it's like a different kind of power because it's coming from whatever your higher power may be, whether it's Gaia or, you know, that's Mother Earth, whether it's Jesus or Buddha or Allah or whatever it might be, we get to take that power back when we're tapped into our higher power and into, or maybe it's just love. Maybe it's just love, you know, or like human connection. But anyway, so as I started to really recognize that I was capable of caring for myself, I was having a very weird dynamic power struggle situation with my mom. Um, I was eight months pregnant and we were really struggling in our relationship. And she was honestly being abusive <laughs> at the time. And I remember crying to Deborah on the phone and saying, like, I just need my mom I just need my mom. I'm eight months pregnant. This is so hard. And I just want my mom. She said, you know, there comes a time for many people in their lives when they have to acknowledge the fact that they're never going to have the mother and father that they wanted or that they want. And so again, like Uta says, I love the one who's scared. I love the one who desires to have that kind of relationship. I love the one who wants to feel protected. You know, I love the one who is feeling weak right now. You know, I love the one who wants to have all of the answers, who wants to know. And so I said, well, Deborah, what do I do? And she said, well, you start being that parent for yourself. And I had never been great at taking care of myself, obviously, especially when we're in active addiction. I think it's really hard. But I think in general, we're just not really taught how to care for ourselves and for each other. It's interesting because Evan and I were actually talking about this. Um, Self-care is like the word of the last decade. <laughs> it's like one of those, you just keep hearing about self-care everywhere. And I definitely think um, it's like an interesting thing, but learning how to care for myself, talking to myself kindly, learning how to love myself and be patient with myself, all of those little things, the way, you know, the way that I talk to my children is the way that I should be talking to myself. So I hope that helps to answer your question, Leah. We have a caller and I'm going to pick up, let's see. Hi. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? What's your name? My name is Tanaz. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm having a little bit of trouble because um, I feel like I'm addicted to marijuana. 
I use it daily and like I smoke it when I'm bored and it helps me when I also am on Adderall and it helps me kind of like wind down and I'm trying to find and figure out like what kind of tips you can give me to just like get away from marijuana and just like kind of cut it out of my system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's interesting because I actually just sat down with someone the other day who's in sobriety and we were talking about addiction. I just met this person and they were like, you're actually going to be shocked because my addiction was to marijuana. And I said, I'm actually not shocked because I'm hearing about more and more people who are recognizing that um, smoking weed is actually harmful to them and their overall well-being and how they're feeling. So... Uh, maybe this will resonate with you and maybe it won't. Um, but I think most of us start to use with the intention of feeling better. And then after a while, we realize that the substance is no longer helpful for us and it's actually harming us. But then we're in the the cycle of we've been on the hamster wheel of using the way that we're using and it's almost become like a ritual and then it becomes really difficult to stop. Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, it definitely does. And my problem is, is that my, it's like, I have to have, my parents are okay with me smoking weed, but I don't live with my parents. I live with a landlady and I'm moving in with like my mom's cousin and she's not okay with smoking weed. So it's like something I have to hide and I don't like that. And it's like, if I get caught smoking weed, I can get kicked out. Yeah. Which just leads to like a lot of shame and feelings of like, um, fear obviously around like your personal safety and well-being. So, um, if you are really interested in stopping, my suggestion would be to start to taper yourself down and replace the times that you would usually, um, you know, do that ritual, right? Have that ritualistic experience, whether it's Mm -hmm. like you wake up in the morning and then you're always having a cup of coffee and then you're smoking a joint or whatever it might be. And replacing that with things that actually help you in your life. Um, So whether it's starting to work on a mindfulness practice, doing like five minutes of a guided meditation, learning how to do breathwork exercises and breathing through those moments of, craving. But I think the biggest thing for you is going to be community. Um, They actually have Marijuana Anonymous. I don't know if you're open to that, but um, not even just like to go in and like actually do the 12 steps. You don't even have to have that intention going in, but just to find other people in your community. And I don't know where you live or if they're doing meetings in person, but I know that they're doing Zoom meetings. A lot of people are doing Zoom meetings over the computer every day. And so that might be a great opportunity and option for, um, for you. And I think that by slowly cutting down and replacing um, those moments where you would usually smoke, which is kind of like a break for you, right? Like it's it's like a reprieve from probably a lot of chaos in your life and the busyness yeah. that we experience just as humans in general, right? And so, yeah, yeah, rep- so replacing that with other things um, might help. Now, are you using the marijuana to... And, 
mind you, I'm definitely not a doctor. I'm just curious. Are you using the marijuana to offset the negative effects or speedy feeling that you have when you're using the Adderall? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a vicious cycle. I know so many people who have been exactly where you're at. Um, Do you mind me asking what dosage of Adderall you're on right now? I'm on 40 milligrams. So that's a pretty high dose. 20 milligrams a day. Yeah, that's a pretty high dose. So if you could go um, and see your psychiatrist, and again, I'm not a doctor, um, but maybe talk about lowering the dose or spacing out the dose or or dropping it to like the time release. Um, I know some people, the vast majority of people who I know who use Adderall end up wanting to get off the Adderall. However, um, if you don't want to get off the Adderall, maybe dropping the dose and doing five milligrams of time release four times a day or something like that will lessen the effects of... Adderall has really helped me actually lower my sm- uh, how much I smoke. Like mm-hmm. I smoke like a, a fourth of a joint when I'm on Adderall. But when I'm not on Adderall, I want to smoke all day. Mm. Um, and... So it's like, it's actually helped me. And same with cigarettes. When I'm not on Adderall, I get bored and I want to smoke like four or five cigarettes throughout the day. When I'm on Adderall, I smoke no cigarettes or maybe one cigarette during the day. Yeah. I think that for you, it's really going to be about developing like a mindfulness practice and being able to slow down and be with yourself and your feelings and your environment. And I know that that's really, really hard, but, um, you know, I think a lot of people smoke, light up a cigarette or, or just out of habit, right? Like so many of us just live on automatic pilot. We're just going, 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 and we're never really being fully present and patient with ourselves and recognizing like, oh, okay, um, I'm feeling really anxious right now, or I'm feeling bored, or I'm feeling whatever it might be. And so my suggestion would be to start replacing those behaviors that are, um, that you are feeling are harmful for you with things that are positive. And I think you'll, you'll notice a, a big difference. I think that community is key. Um, it's kind of unfortunate the situation that you're in with your living situation because shame is truly crippling and um, what you're dealing with is not something to be shameful about. It's just something that you've used to cope and it's no longer serving you anymore and you should absolutely not feel bad about that. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. You've given me a lot of help and advice. Mm. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Have a good day. You too. Goodbye. Bye. Okay. Misty asked in the Recovering from Reality group, how do I build back confidence after trauma? That is such, I mean, it goes hand in hand with shame. Um, I'll always recommend Brene Brown books. I thought it was just me, but it isn't. It was like so transformational for me. And I would start there. And then also the power of vulnerability. Um, I think that self-esteem comes by doing esteemable acts and by, you know, learning to love ourselves and care for ourselves again and slowly but surely you will begin to feel better. Um, We have another caller. 
Let's see if I can pick up. There we go. Hi, what's your name? My name is Gianni. Hi, Gianni. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. What can I help you with today? Hi, so I was just calling. Um, I have been following you for a couple months now, and I'm super excited about everything you're doing. Um, I was I had a question actually recently, and I saw that you had this thing open. Um, I my spit addiction runs in my family, and I was just wondering. I'm consciously like constantly conscious of the things I do, how much in, um, alcohol I take, um, and I struggle with mental health, and I'm just so anxious about. <laughs> Um, having an addiction or developing one. So if you have advice for people who have um, a lot of addiction in their family who are kind of trying to navigate um, just not forming an addiction? Yeah. To out substances? Yeah. So um, there is no addiction gene. So um, okay. we have yet to find something that says, aha, we've got it. Like you are clearly predisposed to being an alcoholic. What we have seen um, throughout history is that the more trauma that one has incurred, the more susceptible they are to both mental health issues and to addiction problems. Um, I talk about the ACE studies, the Adverse Childhood Experience studies often in here. I don't know if you know your ACE score. That would definitely be something that I would look into. The Adverse Childhood Experience studies look at um, the amount of trauma that you've incurred, and then it can basically tell you percentage-wise how much more likely you are to experience um, various different things, one of which is addiction. Um, but then they also have another corresponding test, which is about resilience. And so say you did score a four or more on your ACE score, um, you can then have scored high resilience, which offsets that um, those negative experiences that you had as a child. I mean, the bottom line is this, though. I have an ACE score of 9 out of 10, which means that technically I should be dead by now. So these are just interesting things to like look at. Um, I think that there is no question that trauma and addiction go hand in hand. Um, the reason the podcast is named Recovering from Reality is because I had to recover from my life. I think that the vast majority of people who start to consume substances and abuse them are people who are trying to check out of their reality, who are trying to numb from their pain. And hey, it's a slippery slope. Addiction rates are on the rise. And I think that it goes hand in hand with the fact that we're chronically stressed out. The vast majority of Americans identify as lonely. We are um, seeing more mental health issues than ever before. Suicide is on the rise. And it's because of the way that we're living. So, you know, again, Gianna, if you're... If you're taking care of yourself, right, if you're meditating every day, if you have a strong community, if you have a job that you love, if you're doing things that make you feel balanced and you're consuming substances and not noticing any harmful effects, then I say more power to you and you're fine. Um, but if you're starting to notice that you're consuming like the previous caller, marijuana or whatever it might be to try to compensate for areas of your life. If, if you're coming home from work every day and say you live by yourself or with a partner and you're not happy in your relationship and you're like, oh, I just need a glass of wine. 
yeah, I would be careful, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Very interesting. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for calling in. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's interesting. I get that question often and also about my kids. And people always ask, well, aren't you worried about addiction and mental health issues with your children? And I mean, of course, I think every parent is worried about addiction and mental health issues with their children, whether they are, in quotes, normies. Like, what even is a normie? I have yet to meet, well, maybe Brian, my producer, who's listening to this. Although he's addicted to caffeine. I just called him out. (laughs) I have yet to meet someone who is truly a normie, who, you know, who has their entire life lived just a really balanced, peaceful, engaged, connected life since their childhood. I mean, the vast majority of people um, in my circle of friends, in my spiritual circle, in my online community that I've come in contact with have been through some really challenging things in their life. And as a result, they knew that they had to get on a different path. So with regards to my kids, you know, I do the best that I can to provide a trauma-free environment. I also fully wholeheartedly believe that before we come here to have this human experience, we know who we're choosing as our parents. We know all of the experiences that we will go through for this soul's journey to come here and evolve and grow and change. And so I realize also that I can't uh, protect my kids from everything and that it's not my job to protect them from everything, that it's my job to raise them to be loving, kind, connected, resilient good human beings. And that's the best that I can do. Um, And, you know, to keep their ACE score as low as humanly possible. Okay. How do you not burn yourself out by going zero to 60 right away in multiple areas of your life? Even I struggle with this, Jesse. I've always been one to get a sudden inspiration to eat better or do more chores or get more work done or drink less or not at all or be more social, etc. all at once. The joy of one makes it seem easier to do another. So I ride on that fabricated adrenaline until I crash and burn and then go back to not caring about myself the way that I should because I'm too exhausted from constantly having to accomplish something. Wow. I so relate to that. I think that part of the problem is we live in a society that um, evaluates the amount of work you do and your busyness with how worthy you are. Jesse, you are worthy just because you're here. Just because you're here, girl. That's it. You are just so worthy of having an incredible life just because you're born. That said... I am a very creative person. I get all of these ideas and I have unmedicated ADD. (laughs) And so I often get these ideas of I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. I find that the best thing for me is really staying hyper organized and knowing when to delegate tasks. So I learned this from Lauren Everts Bostick and I have since been implementing it in my life and have noticed a big change. Um, So Lauren says, you make a list of six goals that you have for that day and you have to finish, I believe, at least three. And 
any that you didn't just goes on to the next day's list. So that's what I have been doing. Um, I do things like I keep my calendar as um, organized as possible. I organize my emails as best as I can and keep on top of those. And right now, as I'm saying this, I might have zero emails in my inbox, but I have 62 unread text messages and 10 voicemails that I need to return. So I constantly have to remind myself and give myself grace that there's one of me, two children, an entire business, a husband, and my own need for personal care. I'm also going to remind you of the rule of five. Um, I've done this on Instagram before and you've probably seen it, but it's where um, I have my handout in a five, right? And my thumb is me. It's my spiritual time. It's connecting to my higher power. It is really dedicating myself to a spiritual practice. And then the second finger is my husband, Evan. He's my second priority. My relationship with him has to be in good standing for everything else to fall in place. The third thing is, of course, my children taking care of them and their emotional needs is my third priority. My fourth is work. And my fifth is fun and playtime. So those are my five priorities. And what I notice is if I'm not taking care of priority number one, which is my spiritual practice, then everything else, the other four fingers fall apart. If I'm not taking care of my relationship with myself and then with my husband, my children suffer, right? My work suffers and I'm not able to enjoy life and have fun time. And then of course, if I'm not taking care of my children properly, my husband and myself, then I can't focus on work and I cannot have fun time. So as you can see, everything else crumbles if things don't stay in that order. And I am certainly not perfect at this. I do the very, very best I can to not crash and burn. But, you know, it's it's just one of those things where it's like practice not, not you know, practice makes perfect, I guess. Perfection's not the goal though. Okay. So I touched on this a little bit earlier, but Sarah asked fear of trauma repeating with your children. I tapped on, I touched on that a little bit. We certainly can't protect our children from everything. We can just inform them as much as possible. We can try to do our best to keep them safe. We can try to do our best to raise them in a household that has minimal trauma um, and you know, dramatic, big dramatic events. Um, we can give them all of the tools in the world to um, you know, get grounded, to be connected, to be present. And then it's not up to us. That's, that's like taking on the weight of the world. You will constantly be stressed out if you stay in that mindset. Okay. So I think this is a great one to wrap up with. Um, Casey says financial crisis and recovery. You've mentioned all of the fines and fees that you had to deal with your legal battle and almost filing for bankruptcy and early recovery as well as financial troubles for your family with the fires. I would love to hear more about holding on to the most important things while working on debt through difficult financial situations. So yeah, when I first got sober, I had nothing. I was about to file for bankruptcy. I had no money, no way to work. Thankfully, eventually I was able to go back to work while I was still in treatment, which was a lot to juggle, but we made it work. Um, and 
My biggest thing is slow and steady wins the race. So I, in order to pay off all of my court fees, I stopped eating out, no more Starbucks. I just really like got down to like the essentials, rent, utilities, food, gas, insurance, phone. That is it. Um, And yeah, it was hard, but eventually I was able to do it. And what I've known is you know, throughout my recovery is that there's been financial highs and lows, but I really just stay rooted in the truth that like, I trust and know that I've always been and always will be taken care of and that I deserve to live an abundant, beautiful life. Um, and that everybody does. And so a lot of times with finances, it's like getting out of my own way. Um, if you go a couple episodes back, you can listen to my episode with Amanda Francis having a money mentality makeover that created like a huge shift for me. But yeah, I mean, as far as like immediate crisis mode, you just got sober and you have a ton of debt and you don't know what to do. Take a breath, slow down, breathe and just to see like, okay, do I need to file for bankruptcy? Yes or no? If no, how can I get on payment plans? I always suggest taking a look at your debt from lowest to highest and paying consolidate if you can for low interest. But if you can't, you just pay off the smallest debts first and make minimum payments on the bigger debts. And you'll see that all of a sudden a bunch of accounts go into good standing. And maybe you have some medical debt and you have to make a payment of $25 a month or whatever you can do. And you just start chipping away at that. And then as you're doing that, you're working on your feelings around money and around manifestation and about, you know, doing things that you love and finding side jobs that work for you and yada, yada, yada. Right. And I think you'll be really surprised and notice that pretty quickly you'll be able to get out of freak out mode and into solution mode. And not only will you be able to be in solution mode, but eventually you'll be able to tap into, um, you know, so you'll be able to get out of freak out mode and into solution mode and you'll be able to start tapping into the abundance that is available to you at all times. I have one more call that I'll ask or pick up real quick. Hi, is this Brittany? Hi, yes. Hi, Alexis. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good, thanks. What can I help you with? Oh, man. Yeah, um, this is really awesome. Thanks for doing this. Uh, first off, basically, I just I wrote a lot of things down. So one second. Basically, um, I have a friend who is um, has been going through addiction for about four years now. Uh, and she's just really having a hard time processing like that this is her life still and her reality and how she just has that mentality that is, I feel like it's keeping her stuck, um, feeling like a failure, feeling that her life has little hope in like her future and her career. Um, you know, she is depressed, of course, for a situation, but she's not um, in a bad place you know, in order like harming herself wise, but she just, she feels a lot of shame. And I just, I wanted to ask you because obviously you've been through the situation, if there's anything like a friend in my position can do for her other than obviously being there for her physically. Um, I suggested books, your podcast, you know, therapy, other things, not trying to be pushy, but just there for her. You know, I just, if there's any other things I can do 
mm-hmm. for her to deal with her shame, basically, because, you know, I'm very sensitive with what I say to her. But I also say, you know, we have, I know a ton of people, not in her exact situation, because I'm her best friend. And I know everything she's gone through. But I know we have, you know, similar age uh, friends that are going through similar stuff. Um, and it's just, you know, unfortunately, this is almost a normal thing that people are dealing with nowadays and different levels. And I just, I always want to make her feel like there is stuff that she can do. I mean, she's kind of stagnant in her career and living situation and financial. She doesn't have much to really look forward to in that aspect right this second. But I just, I want her to have hope and to like, you know, eventually start working on things that are going to make her happy. I just don't know how to be there to support her and kind of get that through to her without, you know, making her feel like it's no big deal. Cause obviously it is. I'm not saying that at all. Um, I just, I don't know how to deal with her feeling that shame. Cause it's kind of been, like I said, it's been four years and she's just still, I mean, four years really isn't that long in the, and the whole scope of life that she's going to deal with this. But I don't know. I was just wondering if you have any advice or anything. So to be clear, she's four years in recovery or she's four years in addiction? No. In addiction. Four years in active addiction. Yeah, this all started for about four years. And Uh she's gone maybe about almost 90 days without um, Mm -hmm. relapsing. But she's just, she's trying. And, you know, I just... um, I don't know what to say to her sometimes because it feels like we're still stuck in the same, yeah. you know, roundabout conversation and nothing ever really gets going. Mm-hmm. Nothing really changes. We just have the same conversation over and over. Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, Brittany, I want to say thanks for um, just calling in and for being a good friend for um, for your loved one. And, you know, the, the things that I'm going to say to you <laughs> might mm-hmm. be like, you're like, you're crazy. Um, but I'm going to say, um, (laughs) don't talk to her about her addiction at all. Don't bring up her addiction. Don't talk to her about her addiction. Don't give her unsolicited advice. And I know these are all things Mm -hmm. that feel counterintuitive because you're seeing this person suffering. You're like, I want you to feel better. Right. And like, to mm-hmm. you, um, a non-addicted logical person, you're going like, oh, it's just, it makes so much sense. Just listen to this podcast, start going to therapy, read a book and like, you'll be okay. But, you know, when I, I reflect back on my experience with helping Tess get sober and I just kept thinking to myself, like, why can't you get this? Like, I got this. And what I realized is that, you know, we talk about bottoms, like hitting bottom in, um, Mm -hmm. in, in sobriety a lot. Like, you know, we all, we all hit a bottom. Right. And to be honest with you, Brittany, that bottom, that's like a spiritual experience, you know, for whatever reason, some people have to get into so much pain and so much discomfort before they're ready to change their life. And that pain and that discomfort and whatever happens needed to happen because it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to them. And it was the thing that ended up really motivating them to change their lives. So in the meantime, you know, if she comes to you and she's like, I need help, like I can't do this anymore. Great. Then you can offer help. You can say, I think it'd be a great thing for you to like try an AA meeting or find a community or whatever it might be. Right. But in the meantime, Mm -hmm. um, and I know this is really, really difficult to do. My suggestion would be just to love her, 
practice to love her. When we're in active addiction, we feel so unlovable and we feel so shamed and we feel so scared and we feel like they're I'm so unlovable. There's no way that someone truly loves me just for me. And so, you know, go out to lunch with her, talk about work, talk about any other subject. And I'm not saying you ever have to subject yourself to her when she's under the influence. You don't have to do that. Um, If you're comfortable with it and you can be around her when she's under the influence and not talk about it, fine. But... Um, Mm -hmm. I think back on that lunch that I had with Tess when she came in and she was like so loaded and, um, and I instantly wanted to fix her and Tess's bottom was her bottom and it was her bottom for a reason. I'm not God. I cannot make that happen. Although I wish I had the power to do it. Right. Cause like we would save so many Mm -hmm. people, but we just don't have that. And so in the meantime, the best way that you can be a good friend is just to love on her, to listen to her when, when, even when she's venting, unless she specifically asks for advice, don't give it. We need to feel loved, unconditionally loved. You know what I mean? I know. I, I try to have that balance of, Mm -hmm. you know, cause she doesn't have a very good relationship at all with her family. And so that's kind of out of the picture. And so it's just me and this one other friend, um, really trying to just help her. And I, I know, I think that I'm like a trigger for her in in some, not a trigger, but a shame trigger, I guess, just because Mm -hmm. like she feels that maybe like I've, she's let me down or something, you know, and I've had a lot of conversations where I'm just like, I love you. And I'm just, I'm here for you whether you need my help. Like I, you know, obviously I've told her about my boundaries. Like I can't have you like living here. I can't be enabling you. Um, but and I wouldn't even right use now, the, but... I wouldn't even use the word enabling. Yeah. I would just say, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I can't have you living here right now. And you don't even have to give an answer. Yeah, you don't even she, have to say why, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, and as far yeah. as like, you know, her shame triggers that shame. Yeah. It ends up um, being really crippling and making us want to actually like use more after because we feel so bad about ourselves. And so we have to be so careful the way that we talk to people, which is why I usually say just avoid the topic altogether unless they want to talk about it. And if you are around her and she's under the influence, you have every right to like excuse yourself. I always say boundaries are things that we set for ourselves, not to change other people's behavior. We set boundaries to protect us, not to change them. Mm-hmm. If we're trying to change them, that's manipulation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, at this point, I don't really bring it up. Um, yeah. I just know, I mean, she, she has, you know, her moments where she's like, I don't you know, why is this my life? Like what, like all these things and kind of complaining in a way, obviously, because she's going through a lot. And at, I mean, I don't know. I'm just like, okay, well, let's, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, yeah. I actually, you have that desire book, to actually, yeah, you have that desire to fix yeah. her. And I think everybody feels that because we want to make it better, but like no one mm-hmm. can make this better, but her. And if she comes to you and she's yeah. complaining and whatever, you can just say, wow, I know this sounds really, really difficult. I can't imagine how difficult that is for you. And that's it. And that's yeah. it. You know, um, so you, you can hard. be a compassionate I'm in the witness. I'm reading the uh, Beyond Addiction book. Mm-hmm. 
um, to try to help with that. That's and so a great book. I'm, I'm really liking it so far. Yeah, Beyond yeah. Addiction's a great book. Um, you know, Lost Connections. The, the What's the other one from Johan Hari that's about addiction? That one's so good. And then Dr. Gabor Mate's In the Realm of a Hungry Ghost. Listen, it sounds like to me you're like a really compassionate um, friend and you're wanting to get educated, which I think is always so important. I mean, addiction touches everybody's lives in some way or another. And it's important to be informed about this. And, you know, like I said, my my suggestion is just to love on her, listen to her, have those firm boundaries in place. You know, I'm not, I can't let you live here. I can't, um, da, 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 whatever it might be at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, in the meantime, you know, I, if she's more sober during the day, I'd love to grab lunch with you. Like, you, you know what I mean? And um, mm-hmm. just keep mm-hmm. it really light and then regarding her issues with her family I mean that could be part of her bottom right that could be part of her Mm -hmm. um whatever her experience needs to be and we don't know what that's going to be that's going to make her have that like moment of utter break I don't say breakdown but breakthrough we don't know what that breakthrough Mm -hmm. moment's going to be but um but it's coming whatever it is it always does you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, thank you so much. You're so I welcome, I appreciate Penny. you doing these calls. It's my first time calling in. I finally saw it on your story, so I was trying to wait for it. <laughs> oh, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Brittany, for calling in, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you. You too. Mm-hmm. Bye, Alexis. Bye. All right, y'all. That was such a good episode. I feel like we covered a lot of ground. We started talking about sexuality and then ended up, how do we help a friend who's in active addiction? Um, I hope that you're following along with us on social media, on Instagram, at Recovering From Reality, or with me personally, at It's Alexis Haynes. Um, and join our Facebook group if you would like to. It's just facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash recovering from reality. And if you're not on our weekly newsletter, you can sign up for that on my website. Each week we're sending out, you know, different tips, sometimes an epic meditation download, the book of the month, who's coming up on the podcast, all of those type of fun things. I love you so much, community. I have such like a deep reverence and gratitude for you being here every week, for you sharing this podcast on social media and with friends. I am just eternally grateful. And with that, until next time. This week's affirmation is, I am fucking worth it. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at Recovering From Reality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com.